I know a lot of you guys have recently bought a new house, and a lot of you are looking for a house right now. And so here's my question for you. As you are looking for the house to get, and you're looking for the neighborhood, what, what are you looking for in the neighborhood? What is the best neighborhood that you want to live in, and why? Why are you going after that neighborhood? What are the reasons? Uh, when, when you think about people in our area, I think one of the things that people want when they're looking for a neighborhood is they want a place that maybe has an HOA, but the HOA, it, it's, it's inexpensive and it's not too controlling, but it is controlling enough or it has enough rules so that there isn't that one house. You know, the one house, they leave their trash out like a day too, too long guilty. You know the house that has the kids stuff out all over the place? Guilty. We have gotten letters. This has happened in the mail. We get letters. Um, and, and the other thing, when you're looking for this ideal neighborhood, is you want a place where people are friendly. But you don't want them to be too friendly. You don't want them just walking right up to the door, knocking in and knocking and coming right in. The, the idea of mi casa es su casa is just something we say. It's not something we really believe is true. Um, and, or maybe as you're looking for a neighborhood, maybe for you, you don't want an HOA at all. Maybe you just want to park your boat in your yard and you don't want to have to worry about someone sending you a letter. Uh, maybe you want to work on your cars and you want to throw your tools all over your yard and you don't want anybody saying anything about it. Or maybe you want to be as far away from people as you could possibly be. Or maybe you just want a big yard. We all have a way of measuring what the ideal neighborhood is. So, but here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to suggest that there is another measurement to use for looking for this ideal neighborhood, for looking for this ideal city to live in. And our text actually tells us what we should be looking for. And it actually tells us how we can create these great neighborhoods. We're in John 13, and last week we saw, this is, what's happening here is Jesus has just basically dismissed Judas, and Judas is going out right now to betray him and to turn him over. So we're in John 13, verses 31. Here's what it says. When he had gone out, meaning Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. When you're thinking about the quality of a neighborhood, it's not based on if there's an HOA or not. 
is not based on how big or small the property is, how big or small the house is. But here's what it's based off of. The quality of love within those relationships, within those friendships of that neighborhood. It's based on the quality of love within the friendships of people in that neighborhood and those people's ability to welcome new people into those loving friendships. Before there were cars, churches were formed primarily around larger neighborhoods or small towns, and that meant that the church had a direct impact on the quality of love within those friendships in that neighborhood. And what I'd like to suggest is that each and every one of you, you have a direct impact on the quality of love within the friendships of the Grove. And the higher the quality of love within those friendships that are in the Grove and the ability, your ability to welcome people in to those friendships will draw people in. And what will begin to happen is this neighborhood will grow and grow and grow and it will begin to look like a city and it will be a city of love. And what you're going to find is that this city of love is like a radiating magnet that is drawing people in because they long to be loved like they're watching and seeing love in the side of the relationships of this neighborhood. Now, that's exactly what Jesus is calling his disciples to do right here. He says, love one another as I have loved you. The Greek word he's using here is agape. And what that is, that means an unconditional love. And he's, what he's saying is have an unconditional love towards your friends. And then he goes on to say that people are going to know that you are my disciples because of the love, the quality of love that is within the friendships that you have. And people will actually want to come into those relationships and they will come to know me through your love for each other. This is implying that the church grows by the quality of love within it. Something we say all the time is that we want to help you find your story. Your story is hidden in the Christian story, and we want to help you find it. And one aspect of your story is your purpose. It's your calling. And I don't know what your specific purpose is. I mean, we can walk through it and figure that out. But here's what I do know. I do know your broad purpose. I do know the broad calling that you have in your life. I do know the life that you are meant for. And I'm not going to tell you to you yet. I want to tell you something first. In the movie Moana, there is this lava monster. And Moana has this great task of taking this green stone that's called the Heart of Tefiti. And she has to take this green stone and sail past this evil lava monster called Taka. And as soon as she finally accomplishes this task of getting past this evil lava monster, she looks and cannot find the place where this stone, where this heart is supposed to go. So she looks all around with desperation, trying to find where this heart, where this stone is supposed to go. 
And then she looks over at this evil lava monster and sees that the heart goes right in the chest of this evil monster. So what she does is she's got to face her fear and she's got to let this monster come at her. So she does. And, the, and this monster is running violently at her and she's walking very calmly right up to this monster. And it's a Disney movie, so she breaks out in a song, of course. And she breaks out in a song and she, here's what she says. This is not who you are. I know who you are. They have stolen your heart and I know who you are. And all of a sudden, these words, it's as if, like, she, this monster has finally been heard for the first time. And she goes over, and she puts the stone into the heart of this monster. And all of a sudden, the monster is transformed. And it turns out that this monster is actually this great being that gives life to all of the world. And she couldn't do it because someone had stolen her heart. She couldn't be who she was meant to be. And so she suffered and the whole entire world suffered because of it. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. Many people say that the church's job is to bring people to faith. And it is. That's your story. But that is just the beginning of your story. The Christian, this is just the beginning. The Christian at some point realizes that they are a chosen one, that they have been chosen. And now that they have any great movie you see, when someone has been chosen for a specific thing, they see what it is and it's the beginning of the story. It's not the end of the story. And the rest of the story is they have this task that they have to meet. They have this thing that they've got to go do. They have this great purpose. There's challenges, and your great task, your great purpose is to love. Simple. That's it. Just to love. And this is so important to understand. You are a lover. So philosophers have been trying to figure out what is at the core of humanity. What are we at our core and philosophers have said, at the core, humanity, we are thinking creatures. Or they have said, no, we are doing creatures. We are creatures of action. Or they say, we are feeling creatures. And all of this falls short because what this is saying, what Jesus is trying to show us is that we are lovers. At the core of who we are, we are made to love. When we aren't loving, listen, listen, listen. When we aren't loving... We are functioning like this lava monster because we're not doing what we are called to do. Your purpose is very clear. You're called to love. Wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, if you're driving down the road, you are called to love those people. As much as you might want to give somebody the bird, you are called to love them. And when you see them give you the bird, you can look at them and you can look at them with sadness because you know what they're made to do is love and they're not loving right now. And so they're not living into who they're made to be. And that should sadden us. You know, so many people feel like they don't have purpose in life. And we're all doing this. We're all trying to figure out, what's, our, oh, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing here? Love. 
That's it. Just love. And there are, do you realize how important you are to the people around you? What they need most from you is to love them. And what you need most to do is to love them because you're made to love. So this lava monster, Taka, by the way, my kids are so excited. I said, hey, Cruz, today I'm going to be talking about Jesus and Moana. And he was so excited about it. Um, so you can tell your kids that's what we talked about today. This, this lava monster, Taka, was sad and was angry. And all it could do was destroy everything in its path. It burned everything up. And that's what we do when we are not loving. We are destroying ourselves when we are not loving. And we are destroying the people around us when we are not loving like we are meant to do. Our lack of love is destructive at every level. And here's what happens. This cycle continues. So we get angry. And when we get angry, we show our anger. And that makes us angry because we're not loving, because we are made to love. So if we are not doing the things that we are made to do, which is to love, then we're getting more angry. And the cycle just continues, and we can't get out of that cycle. And it might not be anger. It might be some other emotion, but it's not love. I think when we're thinking about our friendships, I think many times what we mistake is business friendships for true friendships. A business friendship is... I'm going to benefit from being friends with you, and you're going to benefit from being friends with me, so we should be friends. And as soon as the benefits are gone, the, the friendship fades away. It crumbles. And I think, if, I think if we really investigate our friendships, that's probably primarily what we have experienced. But what Jesus is talking about here is a friendship that is built on an unconditional love. And here's what that means for our friendships. It means we are friends simply because we are friends. We're not friends because it's benefiting us. We're just friends because we're just committed to being friends, because it's an unconditional love. There are no conditions for our friendship. It's just that we are friends. It's it. We're friends. Unconditional. But we should ask, why are we doing this? Why are we pursuing this? Because if we're honest, that means it's going to require some sacrifice. Any type of love requires sacrifice. So why should we do this? Why we should we try to love people like this? Two reasons. Joy and glory. We get the joy and God gets the glory. If you are made to love, you are at your most joyful when you are loving. This microphone, if this microphone came to life right now, the thing that would give this microphone the most joy is if someone is speaking into it because that's what it's made for. If you are made to love, then the thing that's going to give you the most joy is loving all the people around you. And as you love, here's where God gets the glory, as you love you have this love within you because Christ has given it to you. So as you love and people look and, and see this love between two people, they're going to see it and they're going to recognize that this love is a foreign love that they've never seen before. This must be coming from Christ and then he gets the glory because of it. Our joy, his glory. 
And so if we're going to do this, if we're going to commit to having friendships like this, we got to know what it looks like practically. So I'm going to give you three things. You can look at all your friendships, look at them. Here's the three things. First is trust. If love is really unconditional, then that means that you can trust your friends. That means if you're, if, if you're ashamed of something that you've done, you can talk to your friends about it because you trust them, because they're not going to go and tell somebody about it, because they're committed to you unconditionally to walk with you through whatever you're feeling shame for or whatever it is that's going on in your life. You know, people will, people will talk to me. Because I'm a pastor, people tell me things that they don't tell anybody else and because they trust me and they should trust me. But what that also tells me, potentially, is that people are telling me things that they can't tell anybody else because they don't have friendships with people that they trust. Unconditional friendships built on trust. So that's the first one. Vulnerability is a sign of friendship. If you can't be vulnerable with your friends, then that means that that is not an unconditional love that you are either giving or experiencing in that friendship. Okay, so first is trust. Second is blocking. Friends, true friendships, people block for their friends. That means they give their friends the ball, they make them the quarterback, and they block for them. And whatever the touchdown is for their friend, they're blocking for them. They want to help them get what they're trying to get, what they're called to get. Whatever that touchdown is, they're fighting for them to get what they're going for, or your friends are doing that for you. And you're kind of just exchanging the ball, and it's awesome. You're blocking, they're blocking. You're the quarterback, they're the quarterback. It sounds like a great time. Okay, so... In, in the Bible, there's a story of King David and his friend Jonathan. And it's a friendship that we all long to have. And what you see is Jonathan blocking for David. Jonathan is a prince, and Jonathan is set to be the king. It's his right. But here's what he does. He recognizes that God has called David to be the king. And so here's what he does. He lays down his crown and he gives it to David. And he says, you are called for this, not me. And he blocks for him. Jonathan's own father was trying to kill David. And Jonathan is blocking for David because of this deep, unconditional, loving friendship that he has for David. So it looks like trust. It looks like blocking. And the third thing it looks like is forgiveness. These friendships are impossible without forgiveness because we're going to mess up. Your friends are going to mess up. And you've got to allow room for your friends to mess up. You've got to be willing to forgive them and you've got to be willing to say sorry because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Or if somebody feels, just you could say something and it gets completely misunderstood. This happens in text messages all the time. You, if, if you are going to maintain friendships like this, it is impossible without forgiveness. I've seen this post on Facebook, and you can tell it's kind of directed towards friends. And it's, in some way, I see this all the time. It's popping up all the time. So, some type of graphic or something, and it says something like this. If you love me, I'll love you. If you're nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. But if you're mean, don't expect me to be nice to you. If you don't like me, don't expect me to like you. 
that is not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. In an agape, in an unconditional love friendship, says, if you mess up, I'm still here. I'm not going to let you walk all over me, but I'm going to take the risk of loving you. Even if at times it hurts, I'm going to take that risk. I mean, the reality is you cannot walk through this life without being hurt by the people in this world. It's impossible. It's going to happen. And you still have to take the risk of love if you're going to experience the kind of love that you long for. And what's going to happen is if you really take this risk of love, you're going to find out that there's so much more purpose and there's so much more meaning in your life and in these friendships, and you're going to risk for love in order to build these neighborhoods of love up. And the more and more that you do this, the more and more that you risk for love, you're going to find that this neighborhood is growing into a city. But it's a risk because you're putting your heart out and it could be hurt at any moment. Years ago, we had a group of friends, and we really wanted to commit to being the church, to, to living like this, with this kind of love for each other. And we had a, there was a party one night at someone's house, and uh, this person invited, this house it was, invited their neighbor. And their neighbor, neighbor came over, and someone was talking to this guy, and he said, I've had two, maybe three people in my entire life that I have loved that have also loved me in return. He said, I'm looking around in this room and I see all of these people have this love for each other. And he said, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Now, where did that, where did that come from? Well, we're gonna talk about that in a second. Because it's nothing, nothing that we did. But I'll get to that. What I'm saying here is if you will seek to do this, it will create a small local movement. And as we have been working to, preparing to launch the Grove, one of the things that I found is that a lot of people who live in Port St. Lucie don't really like Port St. Lucie. Um, but here's, here, here would be my challenge. Instead of measuring the quality of where you live based on the city itself. Measure the quality of where you live based off of the relationships, this quality of love that is found in your friendships. And if you do that, you will begin to love this city. And then if enough people do that, we will together want to try to build a great city. And then one day people might love living here. But it's all based on this kernel of love this unconditional love that starts it all, that can set off a movement. Okay, so we all long for this type of friendship. We want it, but maybe you're not experiencing it. So you say, why? Am I doing something wrong? Are my friends doing something wrong? Why am I not experiencing this? And our verses are going to tell us exactly why. Peter comes up to Jesus, and he says, they're sitting at the table, and he says, Jesus, I love you, and I'll follow you wherever you go no matter what. And Jesus says, Peter says, I'll even die for you, Jesus. He says that. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand. When I need you the most, you're going to deny me. You're going to turn your back on me. And you're going to do it three times. What happened? 
to Peter. He actually does this. What happened to Peter? What happened to his commitment to loving Jesus to the point that he's going to die for him? What went wrong? Here's what went wrong. He tried to muster up the strength within him, and it didn't work. I'm going to say something that will potentially offend you. Okay, I will say it. Here it is. If you'll hear this, if you'll hear what Jesus is teaching you here, you will find how to love this way. So here's the offensive thing. You, like Peter, you don't have it in you. This kind of love that we're talking about, it left humanity a long time ago. And here's how it happened. We had God who loved us, and we loved God perfectly, and he loved us perfectly. And then we rejected, like Peter, we rejected this love. We denied this love. And here's what happened. The love that was within us, that was from God, left us, and so now we don't have this love anymore. So we can try to muster up the strength all we want to love this way. The reality is that that love has left us. It's gone. Peter's problem is that he thought he had it in him. If you watch Peter, read about Peter over and over and over again, he always is trying to muster up the strength, and he's the one that's always failing over and over and over again. He didn't realize that this love was outside of him. Like the lava monster, his heart had been stolen. This love within him had been stolen and he needed someone to put his heart back. The greatest problem, this is the greatest challenge for all of humanity, it's your greatest challenge, is to finally admit that you don't have it in you. That it is outside of you. That you have to go and find it outside of you. Peter finally saw his weakness, and that was what made it possible for him to love like he was called to. See, if you think, listen, if you think you have it in you, you're never going to have it. But if you think you don't have it in you, you will find it because you'll realize it's not inside of you. So you will go looking for it. And when you do, well, let's go find it. So this lava monster's heart gets stolen. And it needs someone to restore its heart. And the same thing is true for us. So I want to I do some more Moana here. And uh, here's what Moana says. This is the best part of the movie. She starts walking to the lava monster. And she says, I have crossed the horizon to find you. As soon as you realize that this love is not within you and you go searching for it, what you find is someone has already crossed the horizon to come and find you, to come and restore your heart, to make you become who you were made to be. This is the, this is the story of Christianity. Jesus Christ has sailed across the horizon of the cosmos to come and find you and give you the heart that you were meant to have. In the quest of all of humanity, is to finally discover that this is true about them. And our text is showing us something. 
these verses are showing us something that all of humanity is meant to discover. It's fascinating. Here's the thing about Jesus. His glory, listen to this, listen. His glory is all wrapped up in his love. If you want to think that Jesus is glorious, if you're like, what is everybody thinking Jesus is so glorious for? If you want to know why, here's how you do it. You go and you look at his love. When it starts talking here about Jesus' glory and the moment of his glory is coming, you know what that is pointing to? It's pointing right to the cross. And it's saying, if you want to know how glorious Jesus is, you've got to look at the cross. And that once you look at the cross, you're going to see his love for you. And when you see his love for you, then you're going to think he's glorious. For the rest of eternity, we are going to be looking upon a throne. And upon that throne, there will be a king. And that king, on that throne, what we will see about him forever, he is marked by the scars of his love for you. You will look upon that throne and you will see the king of creation scarred. And you will know when you see those scars that he was scarred for you. For eternity, Jesus occupies this throne not because he desires to be seen as glorious. He occupies the throne because of his willingness to leave his throne, cross the horizon to come and find you, and become nothing on the cross in order to give you a new heart. And that is why he is so glorious. He wants his glory to be known because he wants his love to be known. And the only way you're going to think him as glorious is if you see his love for you. You want to see that? You look at the cross. The length his love is willing to go for you will cause you to give yourself over to him. It makes you say, I'm yours. And as soon as you say that, he gives you his very soon as you say it, he gives you his very heart, and then here's what happens. No, I'm not saying that yet. You guys almost got me to say it. <laughs> here's what you realize. You can't change your heart. You need him to change it for you. See, if Jesus said what people said on Facebook, I'll only love you if you love me, the world is doomed. We need him to risk for us. Have you ever experienced friendship like this? Friendship the way it's meant to be. Friendship the way that it's supposed to be. A friendship where you know you can trust someone with everything. Someone that you know loves you so much that you can give yourself over to them. You know that they will risk being hurt in order to heal you. If you want to find this and haven't, go to Jesus. That's who he is, and that's what he does. And once you find it in him, here's what happens. You can now love like he has loved you. And you stop measuring your friendships based off of what they're thinking of you, and all you worry about now is how can I love them unconditionally? Unconditionally, no matter what they're doing, you're loving them. Are you willing to cross the horizon for someone knowing that they're not willing to do it for you. That is the mark of unconditional love. 
Are you willing to be hurt in order for someone to be healed, knowing that they wouldn't do the same for you? You won't ever love like this until first you see this. He gave you his heart, and we denied it like Peter did. You will never love until you see that his heart was crushed so that yours could be healed. You will never cross the horizon for someone if they won't do it for you until you realize he has crossed the horizon to come and chase after you after you have crossed the horizon running from him. And here's what happened. See, his, his love is far greater than Moana's. Moana couldn't give her very heart. She couldn't give her heart to this monster. But that's exactly what Jesus does with us. He offers us his heart. Now watch this. He gives us his very heart, his very love. And here's what we did. We took a knife to it. He offered us his love and we denied it. But he knew what he was doing. When we went to stab his heart that he was offering to us, he's quick. And he snatched our dead heart out of our chest and he put it in his very own chest. And then he goes on the cross and he dies on the cross carrying your dead heart and he buries it in the grave and he rises from the grave in order to put his heart in your chest. Makes you a completely new creation. If you will catch that, if you will believe that is true, you're going to find yourself loving in ways where people are like, you shouldn't love that much. You're going to be hurt if you do that. And you say, it's worth the risk. I don't care. Because I know that the risk, the reward of the risk is far greater. Once you realize that you have this new heart, and your old heart is buried in the grave, you realize that you can now live the way that you are called to live. If you don't believe this, try him. Risk. Risk seeming foolish and just go to him. And if you do believe it, then go in love. And love and love and love and build this neighborhood into a city of love. The king of the cosmos risked everything for you. Let's go and risk. Let's love without being fearful of seeming foolish. I think there's nothing greater than risking to love. No greater calling. There's no greater purpose. It's what you're made to do. Let's pray. God, teach us to, to live like this. God, and as we struggle, remind us of what you have done to win us over. Remind us of what you have done for us so we might go and risk for others. God, we want to love others like you have loved us. So we want to understand the love that you have for us. And we don't understand it. 
So show it to us so we might love you and might love all the people around us. Not keeping score, not measuring who's doing more or who's doing less, but simply loving because it's what we're made to do. God, we're just tired of keeping score. We can't help ourselves. We keep doing it. Help us to put the scoreboard down and to risk for love, knowing that we might not be loved in return, but we know that we have a love from you that has crossed all boundaries, that has crossed all horizons. We pray all this in your name. Amen.